The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing. This is Forward Bite. From the Crosley Studios in Race City, USA, here's your host, Kyle Armstrong. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong, here with Adam Logan in the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, presented by Crosley Radio. This week, we're going to have a special guest on the line, Randall Chuck. And Randall's been doing this for, like, gosh, over 40 years. And I just talked to him a few minutes ago before we got started, and I'm pretty excited by just what he kind of told me over the phone there. He says he's got a lot of stories. We might not have enough time to cover them all, but we're going to, we're going to give it a shot anyway, so yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, he's going to be a good one. He's, he's been around a long time and experienced a lot of, you know, both sides of it, really. But, All you know, as far, as far as racing and consulting and everything like that. So I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I can't wait. So, we're, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll get started here. I know we took a couple of weeks off. We had the 4th of July kind of holiday there. It kind of, kind of messed us up. And my goodness, everybody is racing, racing, racing every single night of the week. It's no wonder who's your tires can't keep up. They're no. just racing as many nights as of the week as there are hell if there was eight nights of the week we'd, we'd probably be running eight nights so i know you see it i mean hop right into it, like summer nationals last night like half of them didn't even show up last night to to the to the race i think bobby pierce and one other that um uh freeman surely he's running for points isn't he yeah but he wasn't there Fager, Fager wasn't there, so it's just there's a lot of racing going on. They got a couple races not up in Iowa, paying twenty grand. So it's just, it's just, just pick a night. You can find a race somewhere. Any night you want to watch a race, they're they're right there on your. Yes, grab a remote, and you don't even have to get off the couch. Just stay, yeah, stay <laughs> in the house. Yeah, but these guys are chasing them and going up and down the road and everything, and it's just hard to get a hold of a lot of people, especially at the time of night that we record these things i mean it's it's hot lap time for them boys and yeah they if they're at the track they ain't they ain't gonna talk to us they got other priorities <laughs> bigger priorities to way bigger priorities for bigger, sure bigger pay and opportunities for sure for sure speaking of bigger pay and opportunities <sighs> don't say that <laughs> what uh what's your news here latest news well um i guess most of y'all know me and armstrong we we worked at sri together and about a couple weeks ago, I um, I took a new position with a new company. I um, I am the new outside sales uh, guy for uh, Bill Stein Shocks. So started that venture a couple weeks ago. So we're gonna see how that goes. Well, we've certainly missed you there at SRI. It's been uh, it's been it's been different without without you being there and your knowledge and everything and. Uh, yeah, it for was sure. a, it was a it was a tough decision, but I, I just felt like for me uh, that opportunity for me to kind of kind of grow myself and it's it's more of this position kind of fits me a little bit better. I'll be able to get out and you know go to the races some more with you know with the company and kind of be a representative and and help our customers um, you know at the racetrack as far as you know what their needs are and you know they need a new shock built or hey we need you know something happens we need something coming you know when we get back to the shop so like i said it was it was a tough decision but i, th- I feel like it's uh it's gonna be good for me in the long run so it's uh it's gonna be a learning curve i've been around racing my whole life but never really you know worked with shocks day in and day out so uh last couple of weeks it's been i've had a lot of questions for the guys so they uh they've 
definitely uh, taught me a lot so far. So it's a it's a big learning curve, but I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good deal. Yeah, well, congratulations on that opportunity. I know it's going. I know you'll uh, really enjoy it. You'll be getting to go to some some races here pretty soon and go all over the country again, just like you really want to do. So yeah, it's it's, it's a good thing talking. You know, getting over there. It, it, they've been lacking a person to get out there and kind of do the position that I that I'll be you know in charge of. So um, I know a lot of the guys have been calling into the to the shop over there, kind of excited to have somebody like me that. You know, they, they're familiar with me. Like I said, I've been around, around the track for many, many years. So for them to see a familiar face with, a, you know, a, a company that they're working with is going to be a big, good deal for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Well, looking forward to seeing what happens there with you and all that. And, of course. Uh, kept, I ain't going nowhere. I'm still yeah, here on the, on, the, still, on the podcast. So Yeah, he's still in the same same area. So we'll be, yeah. uh, we'll be bringing this podcast to you and. Man, I know there's been a lot of people hungry for a new episode, and uh, I've had several people ask me over the last couple of weeks, man, what y'all, where's the, what am I going to listen to? And, uh, well, here we go. Well, I think it's going to be a good one tonight for it's sure. a good so, one. Yeah, I had a – I actually I actually went down to Atlanta Motor Speedway this weekend for the NASCAR uh, race weekend and, and also to get to see Blackberry Smoke, probably one of my favorite bands, and – that was really the reason we went down there. But, heck, the racing was a good bonus. Uh, we got to see some really good racing. And uh, met a lot of cool people and saw some people I hadn't saw in a while at the track and everything. And and one of those was uh, the guy we met this weekend, Michael Thigpen out of Metter, Georgia. He had a school bus down there that they stand on top of. They built it to take to the races. And he's a fan of this podcast and listens to the show. And I want to give him a shout-out. We uh, He invited us to kind of come and hang out with him and, and we did, and they, uh, man, I, I really do appreciate their hospitality more than they, uh, more than I can probably ever repay. So that was, that was pretty cool to get to go way down there and, and have a reach like that with this thing. You just never do know who's listening sometimes. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty honored to get to, get to have an experience like that. So, uh, so thanks, those, thanks to those guys for, for, uh, for recognizing us and, uh, showing us a good time down there at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and that race down there was actually pretty good. I mean, it's it was all it was awesome to get to almost see Corey LaJoy win his first race. He was on this podcast a while back, and a uh, longtime friend of mine, and everything. And man, we were cheering him on. I just I just couldn't believe what I was seeing him leading the pack around there. I was I, I was pulling for him. I was, it was it was it's I think this car has kind of equalized a lot of people, and especially the way they've got Atlanta now. It's, it's more like a Daytona Talladega where some of those underfunded teams can can shine. And, I mean, he was – I mean, he looked like he belonged up there. I mean, he was leading the pack and making good moves there. And just at the end, I mean, I think he said in his interview I was watching on TV, he said, man, I just I haven't been in that position, you know, with a restart with two to go at a, at a restrictor plate track, you know, super speedway. He said, I was learning myself with two to go. So, you know, at least, I mean, he – He's got the talent. He can he can will that thing. So I mean, they know he's there now. So he'll be he'll be pretty good from you know coming up in these next couple of races. At least they they know he's got a car that can compete with them. So there for a minute, I was hoping they were still counting caution laps. They'd just go ahead and get <laughs> over with. There at the end, no no green white checker. No, because that would have been awesome to see him win that thing. I may have uh, I may have uh, been late to work or something like that this morning if he'd have, if he'd have pulled that off. But anyway, congratulations to, to him on a good on a good run. I just wish he'd had a better finish, but uh, still a good show in there for for old Corey at Atlanta. That was a 
that was really about all the racing I really watched this weekend. I did get to see uh, Deer Creek on Thursday and Friday and also Davenport, on, I believe, back on Wednesday. And all three of those nights were exciting and excellent races there for the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. I'm, I'm telling um, you, that, that Deer Creek Deer Creek's is, fantastic. is my favorite track in the country. And you'd been there. You, you're from I, that part, or you were you lived in that. Part I lived of the in that part, but before before I even moved up there, like you know, working with Daryl and traveling with the Outlaw um, Circuit. I mean, we we used to go there every year for the Gopher Fifty. Um, I think the last couple of years they've been trying to get you know Lucas to sanction that race, but um, man, we were Daryl's always good at that track. And the thing about that racetrack is they keep it. They work on it constantly throughout the night. They will not let that place rubber up. They don't, you know, they don't want to get it one groove. I mean, they're they're constantly in between heat races. I mean, they'd go out there, tickle it, spray a little water on it. I mean, that place. I mean that that place just puts on a great race. And it's just a the atmosphere at that at racetrack. The fans show up. The I think the coolest thing about that place to me is like outside turns three and four. There's a campground. And it, it ain't just racers. I mean, it's I mean it's legit campground. People go there and you know vacation, and it, it's it's just a neat, neat place to go race and an awesome racetrack. So they said they had a record attendance there this weekend. Of course, uh, Brandon Overton picked up the the big paycheck there yep. on Saturday night, and congratulations to them guys for sure. Yeah, and, they had uh, three three different winners. Smoky Madden was was tough all weekend. It was. He took they 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 threw a fan or not really a fan challenge but a, a bonus. Um, I think they I, I don't know I, I know yeah, they if all, anybody would have well see Madden started eleventh on the first night and won and drove up through there and won it was only a twenty five lap race. So the next night I'm not sure what sponsor or who threw the money out but Trailo Trailo he's a it was an option yeah, and nobody was, took it on the first on the Friday night race to go yeah. to. 11th or worst yeah. to start to win the, win the race and get a $10,000 bonus. But then on Saturday night, it was a, they 25. made it a $25,000 bonus, and Chris Madden elected to go back there and start. And J.D. too. And Jonathan too, yeah. And then they uh, Madden drove all the way to second. And I, like I said, I'm, I didn't watch this race. I, I'm just talking on what I've heard. It was, it was a good he Almost won the thing. Yeah, Madden he was did. he was there. Um, kind of a lap car kind of got in his way the last last few laps and kind of slowed his momentum up. But he was um, JD wasn't able to capitalize on it. I mean, he started twelfth and kind of you know mid pack um, the whole race. But you, you know, Madden drove up through there, finished second. I mean, there was racing all over that track. I mean, that's I'm telling you that that place is. I, I, I hate to say hidden gem, but you know they just hadn't. The go for fifty's always just been kind of like a, a regular paying race, you know, for like on on the outlaw circuit. Like it was, it wasn't any extra money, um, so it's just kind of like a, another stop. But I mean, I'm telling you, that place is awesome. So it, it's good to see the, you know, they make it a crown jewel, paying fifty to win and three nights of racing. You know, take your best average finish to start the race. So, um, I see big things coming out of that track i want to give a shout out too to uh cj johnson and the cj johnson motorsports team he, he listens to this podcast a whole lot and they they picked up the twenty thousand uh, dollar southern all-stars win at beckley on the fourth of july uh last week and i wanted to i didn't want to go without mentioning that congratulations to those guys and 
that team is really on it right now. They're uh, they're loaded for bear coming up this weekend. The Southern Nationals Ray Cooks Tour kicks off this weekend at Beckley on Friday. So I would uh, say it would be a safe bet to to bank on Jacob Hawkins picking up a or Jake Hawkins picking up another win there, possibly coming up. Yeah, and his brother Friday. his brother went out to was that Deer Creek. Yeah, and his brother that surprised me. To see yeah, I didn't there. I didn't see I, driving somebody else's car. He was driving um the Yaggy, um Jordan Yaggy's car. That's right. Evidently Jordan had a new addition to the family, so he wasn't able to race that weekend. So they called um was it Jacob? No, yeah. Well, I get the brothers mixed up. Jared. Jared, Jared Hawk, Hawkins. Jared was in the car and. That's just good for him to, you know, he's just kind of, he's a real good racer, and to get an opportunity to go race with the big boys out there, that was uh, that was good to see. Yeah, them Hawkins boys are, are are pretty good racers, and it's good to see them, see them getting in some good uh, equipment there and some good rides. And man, what about Josh Rice there a couple of weeks ago at Florence? You can bank on him to win when he go there. To what get I tell two, you, you, we were texting during that race. I said, watch this, don't count him out. We did a little track prep, got that top sign. He he is unbelievable at that racetrack. It's home track, and not taking anything away from him, but you, if you get a chance to go to Florence, just watch the 11 car. Keep the, an eye on him. Just the way – it blows my mind the way his car gets around that racetrack. I mean, he's up on the cushion, I and mean, it's just like he's loose through the cushion, you know, through the corners, and all of a sudden when he gets to the straightaway, I mean, that car just points straight, and he just has – so much forward bite coming out of the corner. I mean, it's it's something to watch, and for him to go back to back in the um, uh, Ralph Latham, that's a that's a pretty cool deal. And I know it's 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 special to that family because um, uh, Ralph's grandson uh, Nick Latham is a good family friend of them, and uh, for him to pick up their win two years in a row, that's uh, that's pretty special for them guys. Yeah, uh, there's so much racing coming up on the calendar. It's incredible and it's unreal. So if you get a chance to go watch a race this weekend, by all means take it, and uh, you know we'll uh, you know where to find all those. So, what else have you seen in the last couple of weeks? Uh, I, I haven't. What, uh, what news or notes or nuggets can you? Man, I don't know what news or nuggets I got out there. Um, I haven't. I went to a race a couple weeks ago. Ended up getting rained out for the for the race. Got on the racetrack. I went to Tri County to see a friend of mine race and rained it out. So I missed that deal. Um, I got the I, on the way home. I was watching the the South Boston the the uh, what do they call it? The Triple Crown for the late model stocks down here. They kicked it off at um, South Boston with their you know first leg of that deal and whew, that was they a, tore up some stuff whew. then, didn't they? That was, I thought our phone was going to ring for sure on that week. My goodness. I don't, I don't think one car, I think they started 42 cars at South Boston. That's way too many cars. Way too many cars track. for that place. But they started every one of them that was there. And for the first 150 laps, it was a 200-lap race. For the first 150, they, they played nice. You know, a little, you know, had a few cautions. But the last 50 laps, oh, my gosh. All hell broke loose. You mentioned uh, you mentioned going to Tri County. I got to go. I guess the week before that, you and me both went up there. Yeah. we might have talked. I don't know if we've had a show. No, since we then. haven't had a show since then. Yeah, we the but, Southern uh, Super Series. Congratulations! Yeah, we got to see Hunter Robbins win mm-hmm. that race. Uh, friend uh, friend of mine and his wife Johanna was there and spotting, and that was a good surprise for me to get to be there and 
and uh, and see them there racing and that was a that was a pretty good show real good if show you're Quapple, looking for a good asphalt race to go to that place up there puts it on yeah Quapple was leading that whole deal made one little mistake and hunter jumped on it and was able to capitalize for 10 grand so that was a that was that was a very that's a, a racy track for you know for them supercars and everything else and i think they've got a big uh cars tour race coming up pretty soon either next month or later on in the year and that'll be a damn good show up there for that for yeah that series and north wilkesboro is right around the corner too yep. asphalt for that month of august and then i'm really interested to see uh what it's going to look like with dirt on it and uh, i'm sure i'm probably going to at least go up there once for each month and oh, i'm sure i'll be up, yeah two. i'm sure i'll be up there <laughs> with with work with you know some you know them paying some pretty big money for that x you know that series and so it'll be uh it'll be interesting hopefully it ain't i mean that asphalt i think it'll be fine it makes me nervous for a dirt track i think it's, it's, it's just it's way big way big what is it three quarters or something something like that yes it's a little big for for but dirt cars but you'll see some incredible speeds oh yeah there. it'll be it'll be on display that night for sure yeah so looking forward to seeing what they what they put on up there for sure so uh anyway let's uh let's take a quick break here on the forward bike podcast um before that i'd like to thank superior pools of south carolina for all their help andy's towing and anybody else that's ever pitched anything in and bought a hat or a t-shirt or anything like that man we appreciate y'all support it goes a long way to keep this keep this thing moving forward so uh I'll take a quick break here on the forward bike podcast right here on the speed sport podcast network and come back and we'll call up randall chuck well listeners in case you didn't get enough sports today here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports youtube is the new home of nfl sunday ticket and if you sign up now you'll get our lowest full season price of the year just go to youtube.com spotify offer to get 100 off nfl sunday ticket watch your favorite teams out of market sunday afternoon games exclusively on youtube and youtube tv all right enough about sports Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6th. No refunds. All right, welcome back to the Forward Bike Podcast here. Uh, we got, we're got we really lucky to have Randall Chupp here on line one here yes, today. And uh, a, a true legend of this sport that we uh, love to talk about on here every week. And uh, glad to finally make it work. We was gonna, so this is episode 54. I was going to try to hold out until we got to episode 114, but we're not climbing up through there as quick. So I figured we'd <laughs> just might, go ahead and call you. That might take a little bit to yeah. get that far Yes, out. sir. So welcome to the podcast, Randall. It's uh, it's an honor of mine to have you on here, sir. I'm proud to be on there, bud. Well, good deal, man. We, uh, yeah, we, uh, th- yeah, it's been, it has been a long time coming and we're sitting here just, we're sitting here trying to put a few notes together and everything. And, uh, first question that, uh, that comes to mind, there's your car number there at 114. And it was always a really good looking car number. And, uh, kind of how'd you come up with that? Well, my father was uh, number 201 and, you know, um, we're lucky enough to have him in the hall of fame with like 803 wins under his belt. And I really never thought I'd be a, nor a good racer, really. Uh, it's a dream to be, you know, like my dad was. I didn't want the pressure of being 201 junior or nothing like that. But in honor of my dad, I wanted it to be a three-digit number. And my dad's favorite racer was Larry Moore. And uh, Larry Moore was obviously number 14. And I just put, since my dad thought Larry was number one, I just put the number one in front of Larry's number. Uh, and it was interesting years later to find out that um, 
Larry got his number uh, basically off of A.J. Foyt and his fondness, A.J. Foyt. So the number goes back quite a long time. That's an incredible story. I don't think I knew that history, and maybe anybody listening to this will catch something out of that. That's cool. But you, uh, you're you talking about your Hall of Fame father there, Gene Chubb, and I guess – I guess we could go all the way back to maybe some of his uh, some of his career highlights and uh, where you were for some of that. And I mean, it's way really way before my time, so you're going to have to kind of kind of fill the gap there. But tell us a little bit about your father, Randall. Well, Dad's racing started way before my time. You know, he raced 38 years, and um, you know, I was uh, around for probably about 16 of that. And from you know. From the time I was five to eleven, I guess I was such a pain in the butt to him. Um, he wouldn't let me come to the shop. Of course, he was real serious about his racing, but um, all they did was made me want to go and be more part of it than ever. I think they was trying to push me away from racing, really, to be honest with you. But pushing me away from it just made me more drawn to want to do it, like a lot of lessons you learn in life. But um, yeah, by the time I got in the shop at about eleven. I hadn't been out of a shop since, so it was really intriguing to me, and Dad made it real enjoyable, and he was a great teacher and a mentor, and, you know, we didn't have employees. We had people just helping because they wanted to help and be a part of the team, and uh, it was racing's always a lot of work, so I learned my early lessons about building cars from my father, for sure. Didn't, now, Randall, I'm from North Alabama. Didn't wasn't your dad, weren't y'all from that area? Yeah, um, most of the time, Florence and Muscle Shoals. That's what I thought. We lived in Crooked Oak for about six years at one point in time, which is near Russellville. Yes, yeah, so that's where I, I started growing. You know, when I was growing up, I was going to North Alabama, Moulton, and I just remember like guys like Doug McElroy and uh, um, Nolan Smith always, you know, talking highly of your dad and they all raced with him back in the day. Yep. Nolan was actually the very first person to ever take me to a race. Awesome. Yeah. I, I skimmed my way into getting to go to Talladega. Basically Nolan and his wife babysit me some when I was just a kid. And, um, Nolan was racing at North Alabama and sometimes dad would be going to Winchester, Tennessee or Talladega. And, you know, that was too far away for me to travel at the time, I guess, was Dad's excuse. But um, I skimmed up knowing that it was big race weekend at Talladega, and the street stocks were paying like 500 to win at uh, Talladega Short Track. And they was only paying like maybe two or 300 to win at North Alabama. So I told Nolan, you know, two weeks in advance, we needed to go run that 500 to win street stock race. The whole reason was I wanted to watch my dad race the late model race there that night, and I wasn't no other way I could go, you know. But anyway, I was in the car and had it all skimmed out, and Nolan and his wife was babysitting me for the weekend, and we was going to Talladega Short Track, and so was Dad. So, you know, during breakfast, he said, I'll see you later, son. And I was like, yeah, I'll see you later. <laughs> later on tonight. <laughs> That's but, awesome. So anyway, we're going down – uh, the Interstate 65, and we get down there to the uh, 2059 or whatever that split is down there to go towards Talladega, and Nolan's pulling a 55 Chevrolet with a Chevrolet uh, Impala. And he says, uh, he says, there's your dad and Cooper and them up in front of us. You want to hide back here or you want to pass them? I said, no, we need to pass them. 
So <laughs> right in the middle of that turn, getting on the interstate to go towards Talladega, Nolan was passing Dad in the ramp truck in the Caprice pulling the 55 Chevrolet, and I hung all the way out the window and said, see you at Talladega Short Track. <laughs> I won't. And, and I got there, and Dad was ready to skin my head for scamming that all up, but he said, okay. If you're going to scam up and go anyway, I guess you can start going to me next week. <laughs> How old were you at that time? Oh, I was about 12. I got you. So I'm kind of wondering how come uh, how come maybe your dad didn't want you to go with him at that time. Did you just... Well, um, we're very limited on health, so he didn't really have a lot of people that could work on the car and worry about me running around in the pits at that age. And actually... Some of the tracks in that era give kids my age a hard time about getting in the pits. I got you. Yeah, true. But, too, my dad was just really serious about what he was doing, and there's a time and a place for kids being around and seriousness in business, and there's time and a place that they're not, you know. But I think it's... So I, I respected and understood that as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, but it sounds to me like whenever you uh, showed the initiative and, and still showed up there anyway, he was like, man, he's, he, he, he's serious about it, you know. And then, he, of course, you said he started taking you from that point on, and the rest, as you can say, is history. Oh, yeah. By the time I was, like, 13, we'd race at, like, Talladega Short Track on Saturday night long before anybody else would get up Sunday morning. I'd get the ramp truck and go... 10 or 15 miles down the road to the car wash and unload the car and wash it all up and have it back to the house before anybody else woke up. <laughs> so it wasn't long. I was running pretty hard with this racing thing. The bug bit you pretty early. Well, to be honest with you, during that era, we didn't have telephones and video games. and You know, we had to find something to do. And it was either go out in the garden and do something to help mom plow the field and do some gardening or go back in the garage and work on the race car. And I can tell you where I was at. Working on yeah, the race car. for sure. A lot more fun in that garage to me. For sure. Yeah, you've uh, you've made a made a long-time career out of it for sure. And uh, I guess uh, what uh, at one point there you were Freddie Smith's crew chief or whatever there at that time. I don't oh, want, yeah. I don't want to jump ahead, but did you – did you do any uh, racing or driving or anything before that, or did you kind of start crew chiefing, or kind of what's the timeline on all of that? No, the way it kind of unfolded was um, my dad started letting me go with Ronnie Johnson to some bigger events than we were funded to be able to go to. Mm -hmm. And I was wanting to get out and see bigger races and get exposed to bigger racing. And Dad knew I, I wanted to go bigger places than he could go kind of as far as you know, he wanted to race, and I wanted to go to bigger races. So he kind of started letting me go some with Ronnie Johnson, and then I coached my way slowly into crew chiefing for Ronnie Johnson. And then we won two Dirt Track World Championships together among probably a minimum of 100 or more Southern All-Star type races and stuff like that through the years working together. And then um, Jack Boggs, Freddie Smith, um, so when I was basically finishing up working with Jack Boggs, I told Bob Miller, who was one of our sponsors at the time, uh, and he had also worked, obviously, with me in the Ronnie Johnson era of uh, crew chiefing. I just told him that I was going NASCAR racing and um, felt like it was time to do something bigger, maybe to help my family more or whatever. And um, he said, well, I want to coach you into staying around a little bit longer. He said, I want to pay you back for helping me win these 
you know, dirt track world championship races for both of his teams was a big thing for uh, for Bob, and he wanted to kind of pay me back for it. So he said, your dad raced all the time. And I'm like, yeah, he raced all the time. And he's like, you never have asked about racing, but would you want to race? And I was like, well, yeah, I'd love to race. And it's a dream, but, you know, it's too big a dream really for me, and I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. And he's like, well, I'd like to pay you back for helping me win these dirt track world championship races as uh, letting you drive some. And I was like, well, that's the craziest thing I ever heard of. But if you're crazy enough to do it, I'm sure willing to try. And uh, that's kind of how I got started driving, actually. That's pretty cool. What year was that around? That was um, 90... When we first started talking about it, it was about the end of 92 or early 93, I'm thinking. That sounds about right. And then I actually drove um, six events in um, the first year I drove, which I think was 93. But I was still crew chiefing and working with Bob's teams, uh, Jack and Ronnie Johnson and Jack Boggs. But then the next year, uh, he just pulled me off the teams and put me full-time racing. You uh, you just mentioned a ton of good names right there. And I didn't. I never really realized that that you worked with Jack Boggs. So tell us a good. Uh, I guess tell us maybe a good favorite one of your Jack Boggs memories. Well, I always absolutely enjoyed working with Jack tremendously. You know, I went to work for Jack on a little bit of a. Uh, it was a dream that um, Craig Cowan from Hoosier Tire knew that Jack had been struggling, and. Um, I had uh, been having a great time working with Freddie Smith and was so successful, but Freddie's funding was drying up um, at the Bennett Motorsports and LA Gear Team. And about the time um, that funding was drying up, I would have worked for Freddie forever and been happy doing it. He's such a wonderful person, but the funding was drying up that was on the side of paying the crew. So I was really kind of almost to the end of that job. Craig Cowan from Hoosier Tire calls me up one day and says, uh, I want you to go try working for a friend of mine for a few races just to see how it goes. And he said, I think it'll really go well. And I said, well, I don't really have nothing going right now. This deal's starting to dry up. So who are you talking about? And he said, Jack Boggs. And I was like flabbergasted, really, because Jack's a legend, you know. He was a multi-time world champion before I showed up. But anyway... He was struggling at the time and not having very good fun racing and wanted to take a step back and turn it over to somebody and more or less focus on driving and business. And uh, he made a deal with me. He said, Randall, if you come to work for me six races, the sixth race will be the Dirt Track World Championship. He said, if we can get this business shop and everything turned around in six races, we'll make a go at it next year if you want to stay. And I said, that's cool. So we... Um, we completely redid all the cars, and he turned me loose to do anything we wanted to do at the time to, to change things around. And had great help, Steve Reeves and Wally Adams and me, uh, Brad uh, Pounds. There was three good guys there working with me, and we changed everything around that they'd been doing. Went and tested a uh, couple of times at like Ponderosa and Lake Cumberland, and Tedesco went really well. We were getting better at understanding the cars. So I think we won like four of our first six races together. Lake Cumberland, Ponderosa, like 10,000 to win shows was a couple of them. Florence, Kentucky was another one for 
uh, might have been a north-south for like 12,000 or 15,000 to win at the time. Then we rolled into Pennsburg, and I mean, we demolished them all weekend. We destroyed the field. It was so awesome. Jack was on kill. He was just so unbelievable there. And uh, we won that race, and coming home, we had a brown paper bag full of $50,000 in cash, and it was the most amazing thing to me because, <laughs> you know, there we are with a whole bag full, like a grocery sack full of bills, and it's ones and fives and tens. I mean, it took all day to count it. <laughs> but it was it was just like a dream coming true, really. And uh, me and Jack and the guys worked so well together, and, you know, we won a ton of races in that era of time, you know. With Jack, Freddie, and Ronnie all, we, we won 200000 or more each year I coochie for them guys. And, um, you know, that was a lot of money back then because races didn't pay what they do now. For sure. A lot of them running up to $250,000, $10,000 at a time is a lot harder project than it is nowadays when there are so many 50000 to wins and stuff, you know. But, yeah, we had a big roll going on everything, and everything's just working out beautiful. And I was happy doing what I was doing, and Bob just pulled me aside and decided he wanted me to drive, and that's kind of, what turned me down the road of driving. Now, when he when he gave you that opportunity to, you know, finally get to drive, how, how long did it take, you know, you've been around it your whole life, your dad was a great racer, and you, you crew chiefed and was successful at that. Did, I mean, did it take long for you to, you know, become a, a good race car driver like you ended up being? As amazing as it is, this is as quick as I can get through the dramatics of it for you. So it took me about 45 seconds to total my first car. Um, <laughs> that probably be me. I backed it in the wall at Ponderosa, Kentucky, wide open, and just peeled the rear clip on this thing. And it was hilarious because, in a way, uh, now that it's all said and done, so Barb Miller was there with me, and Bob Miller was there with me watching. Barb had me like third quick, and Jack Boggs and, and uh, Scott Blomquist were one and two in my first hot lap session. And um, Bob's, you know, he's always wanting to win. So he's like right in front of Barb telling me, you know, he called me Willis was his nickname. Uh, Bob Miller always called me Willis for whatever reason. But he said, Willis, he said, I'll tell you right now, it's turn three. If you'll just drive in turn three, just about one more car length deeper down in there. He said, you'll set fast time on your very first night out. And I said, well, Bob, I'd be happy if I was third. He's like, I'm telling you, Willis, just one more car length in three, and you're going to set her on the pole. Well, I went and turned three about three car lengths deeper and set her on the pole, all right. <laughs> I set the whole rear clip on the pole. It wasn't the same one he was talking about. No, it wasn't exactly the one he was talking about. So I, I get in the pits, and I'm disappointed as all heck, you know, because it was, it was like a dream I was living, and then all of a sudden my dream got rained out real quick, you know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I wouldn't hardly get out of the car. And and Bob was standing there, and he's like, it's all right, Willis. And Barb was standing there, and she said, Robert, you're darn right, it's all right. You shouldn't have told him how to drive. If you want to drive, we'll get you one. But I don't want to hear you tell him nothing else about driving never again. And Bob says, Willis, I'll never tell you how to drive again. <laughs> well, lo and behold, I won my sixth race ever in one at that track over all them superstar drivers. So it was really amazing turnaround and then i wound up my first full season was the next year and i won the bulls gap track championship for the super late models over scott blomquist 
and I won the track championship at Thunder Ridge in Prestonsburg, Kentucky over Steve Francis, both my rookie year. That's incredible. Well, you picked up on things quick. Yeah, it was amazing, uh, really amazing. I mean, I, like I said, I always wanted to drive, but I never really even dreamed big enough to drive. And then once I got a chance at it, I was felt like I was pretty good at it. And, you know, it wasn't because we didn't work hard at it, though. We didn't take anything for granted. We definitely worked as hard as we did anything. I, I didn't mean to leapfrog over it there, but I, I think, I mean, I really wanted to get a little bit more intel and, and insight on that Freddie Smith, uh, your crew chief, and opportunity there with him. I know um, I know it was with that L.A. gear car and all that with the Bennett Motorsports, and you mentioned that, but how long yeah. did, how long did that deal kind of last and kind of what was, uh, I guess, what was some of your roles there and what were some of y'all's big wins y'all won then? Man, we won so many races, it was kind of a blur, and you got to realize how long ago that was now at this yeah. point in time. But um, Freddie was amazing to work with. He could win anywhere. didn't matter where. As long as we gave him a good car, a good setup, and answered you know, what his needs were and gave him what he asked for, he won basically everywhere, man. I mean, we dominated at lots of tracks. Carolina Raceway, Cherokee, uh Sumter, uh, I-20, uh, uh, was tracked down by Pensacola, Florida, uh, Meridian, Mississippi. There was a funny Freddie Smith story about uh, Meridian, if you want to hear it. Please. Yes, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so, so Freddie was down and out about his slick track prowess at one point in time when I was working with him. He wanted to be better in the slick. And man, his other crew guy, Jim Fry, who I worked and had a great time with, Pitsy, they call him. He's from Pittsburgh. Um, we were on him about working on day tuning in the motors, doing something about the motors. And Freddie's now, we got to hook the cars up. We went on and on. We was working our butts off trying to hook the cars up harder at the time. But anyway, we convinced the team owner to buy a V6 that James Finch had. And it was um, one of Jeff Purvis's Bush motors uh, from that era. And uh, Freddie's like, oh, well, you were wasting money and this, that, and the other. And we're like, well, you know, we can still sell it. If we don't like it, we'll, we'll sell it for most of not all the money we got in it. But let's give it a whirl. He was kind of down and out about it the whole time. And I understood what he wanted. He wanted to run the strongest motor he had, and he wanted us to hook it up on a slick track. And when we worked our guts out trying to have that, but at that point in time, we wasn't getting there as fast as we needed to, even though we are still being successful. He wanted to be more successful, and that's, you know, I love that about Freddie. So we're at Meridian, Mississippi, and we're with the, the 430 Cornet motor in the car, and we go out for hot laps, and it's that Coca-Cola 100 weekend, so it's like 15 or 20,000 to win at the time. And um, first lap on the board, we're like on top of the board. Second lap, we blow the motor up. We didn't have any other motor with us except for that V6 and that other car, and it was a spare car and spare motor deal. And uh, I remember talking to Freddie, and I was like, well, we're going to unload this other car. And he's like, we ain't, we ain't no need unloading that other car. It's lame to be a piece of crap down here. And I was like, well, let's just try it. You know, we already got it here, and we're already here. So, you know, just give it a whirl. Because he hadn't made a lap in it practicing or nothing, right? So he goes out there and breaks a track record qualifying in it. He pulls in the pits, and he's madder than a mashed cat. I'm telling you, he's 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 upset and Freddie don't get upset much and I'm like what is it and he said that's the dang thing won't run 
about that time he shut the motor off and they announced that he broke the track record and i mean his jaw dropped all the way to the floorboard of the car <laughs> he's like you gotta be kidding me i'm like brady this thing is flying dude i cannot tell you how fast it is but at that same point in time james klein had a car with a v6 in it and he was just mopping everybody up and that's following james's lead was what led me down the road wanting one for freddie but we won every race we run in that car until they wouldn't let us bring it to the racetrack no more. <laughs> that's that's funny you say that because, I mean now nowadays I know we're fast forwarding, but it, it's everybody's building these fifty thousand dollar motors, you know, eight hundred plus horsepower, and it's it always goes back to at the end of the night, what are we doing? We're putting restrictors in them, trying to tune them down, and sometimes I'm, I I go back to when I first you know started. They had them spec motors in Mississippi. And every time we took our spec motor to the track, we were badass. Every time we oh, take yeah, well, you, you, them slick tracks, if, if you, like you said, if you can't hook it up, there's no need to have that big motor. Well, it's just like, you know, as good as the Lucas Oil teams run, and they are awesome. Believe me, they're the fastest cars around. But when they come to places like Boyd's, Tennessee, if, if the fans and the crew members would just study, the crate late models are faster than they are every time they come here. Yep. And in, in the main event, the feature winning crate cars are going two or three tenths faster than the Lucas Oil winning team. And and you can like literally print that out and hand it to them Lucas Oil guys and they just absolutely won't even acknowledge it's a fact, but it's a fact. <laughs> I can believe uh, that. I believe you there. Yeah. I mean I've had teams do it. Like I had Ethan Hunter that wins a lot of races around Boyd's for me. Um he uh he, I think he's had fast times against the supercars three out of the last four times at the track. Things don't change. Is he racing in the same class with him, or is that just different classes and you're just looking at the... Well, if you compare, like, the 604 yeah. class, which is the crate motor, to the super late model class, is what I'm saying. I got you. Okay. But I didn't know if you could uh, run a 604. I mean, you could take a crate motor and run with the Supers if you wanted to, couldn't you? Well, they're going to find out this week because he's going to enter his 604 in the Super oh, this weekend. that'd be interesting. Let's go. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for and, sure. And they might get him on the start, but on a flying lap, they're going to have to pick a pace up or he's going to outrun them. And that's at Boyd's this coming weekend? Yeah. I got you. Yeah, that's cool to hear. I think that race, uh, we'll give a shout-out since we're on the Speed Sport deal. I, th I believe that race will be able to be streamed live on speedsport.tv. So if anybody ever wants to watch that this coming weekend, that'll be over on there. Oh, yeah, they have some awesome races there. Yep, I've watched some of them. They do a good show out there for sure. I've never been to that track, but they uh, they do put on a good race. So It's very challenging. So, so like, what, So you got your chance. You're you're racing, like, did you did you just kind of start out kind of doing local deals? So you know, you won those two champion those track championships. When did you start like venturing out and racing with you know the touring guys or or back then? I, I guess it was. Well, we automatically immediately raced with the touring guys just when they come in our region. Okay. Um, but basically, what got me traveling around uh, the most is driving for different car owners at different times. But I moved all around the United States, basically driving for different teams like north and south and kind of east and west basically and um that's what got me out to so many more tracks than i would have normally got to okay i got you yeah i'm uh I'm, I'm looking here at some of my notes i jotted down you uh 
you drove a warrior chassis there early in those days too with uh the miller brothers coal and hawkeye truck and sponsorships and that car kind of looked like pretty identical to like scott bloomquist or something at that same era so were you and you and bloomquist kind of sort of teammates or see eye to eye or anything at that time um I never have had no teammate affiliation with Scott. I've always respected I and thought a lot of Scott as a competitor. I, I really respect the guy for everything he's done as far as competition goes. The other thing I'll say about Scott, you know, I've probably raced as many hundred lap races battling with that guy for a win as anybody in my whole career. And, and you know, I don't think we ever touched each other, but two different times, and it was just light rubber mark on the fender both times. But... He's an incredible talent, and he'll race you clean and race you as hard as you want to race. Yeah, I guess what I meant by that was I was just looking back at some of these old pictures, and y'all had the, some of the same sponsors, and, and y'all's cars looked like something. They looked like well, they come out of, that, of the same I think shop. I come from um, Jamie Kuntz lettered my cars and worked for me, and at one point in time he worked for Scott I got you. as a crew member and did some lettering for him. So some of the resemblance was probably due to Jamie doing the lettering. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, but no, we weren't tied together at all at any point in time, even though we raced together most about every Saturday night for many years. Yeah, y'all were fierce competitors there for a long time, for sure. I've seen y'all, seen both y'all run a lot of races together, for sure. And uh, and I had got to see you run a whole lot during your career, and that 114 car was always always a sight to see. You always had really good-looking cars, too. You're talking about that the man that hand-lettered your car back in those days, and you you always took pride in having a good-looking car bringing it to the track. Well, me and Jamie are best of friends, and I've got, like, I like artwork and try to have influence on what my cars look like, but Jamie's unbelievable talent, and every beautiful car I ever had, Jamie did. Yeah, that uh, red and white Biscotti's restaurant car comes to my mind, and that was always a – man, that probably was – if you put a top 10 list together of some of the most top 10 iconic or good-looking paint schemes or whatever in all time of dirt late model racing, I think that one would be in there somewhere. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I know me and Johnny and uh, all of us put you know, a lot of hard work and thought into trying to have nice-looking stuff for the fans. I, th I, I think thought that was part of it, you know, bringing a little bit of the show. Yeah, and I, I always remember when you had that paint scheme – you, you you painted your trailer to match the car. Like I, that yep, was that we was did. We that had, was we had big big tribal flame thing down the side of the trailer with the number in the middle of a big circle. Yeah, I always I was that's like man, Randall's here. I was like, this is gonna be good. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Y'all always were professional in those days, and I always uh, man, I really appreciate it. I wish more of them would paint their haulers or at least put a number on it or something where you could identify it going down the highway. But I I do understand why they don't. Yeah. It's, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> they had to start. I love I love the days when people had real nice open trailers and their cars on them. Where when they was lined up to track, you could see all the cars. Oh, yes, yeah, that was always so amazing. I think racing lost a little of its identity when it got to where it wasn't hauling the cars up and down the highways for the people on the road to see and stuff. Yeah, we kind of outgrew our britches on that deal. Yeah, I think we did a little bit. Of course, now the trailers they got now are just like working shops so like everybody wants one that way but you know when it comes to drawing kids to the track and stuff i remember i was glued to the windows in my dad's four-door cars when we'd drive up beside of a race car on the interstate or something 
Oh, I, I, I'm, I was the same way, me growing up. I mean, that's kind of what got me into it. There was old street stock in town, but every time he pulled up to the racetrack, I could I could pick his car out because, like you said, it had an open trailer, and you could see that number 18 hanging out. I'm like, yep, he's here tonight. That's my man right there. Yeah. That's right. That's my man. That's right. I know, I know exactly what he's saying there, too. I can remember going to a track or somewhere maybe where I hadn't been, and you'd see see a car on an open trailer, a street stock or something, getting gas, and then, like you just said, see him at the racetrack, and well, that's who I'm pulling for. So uh, that that does go a long way with a kid because I can remember being and seeing those kind of that that type of thing too. And you just don't really have that no more. Not at not at this not at this top level as you call it anyway. So right. So I I know we're gonna jump forward, but so you did you were raced. Like you started out as a crew chief. Is that what kind of led to the the whole Wolfpack? Um, consulting deal that you did later in in your career? Well, Wolfpack Consulting just bled into Randall Chuck Consulting, which is what I still do today. Okay. Um, but basically, the whole time I raced, no matter if I was crewing for somebody or racing myself, I felt like actually that um, the factories didn't have enough time for the working man. They took care of a house car driver or two, and if you wasn't one of them, you didn't get much attention or or much in-depth to help you get to be one of the best guys. So as a crew chief, I always enjoyed the task of taking on a different driver and going to win the next race, and, and we happened to do that very well. We never, we never went to another driver and didn't continue winning, you know. Um, like I said, my last four basic guys I crew chief for all in the hall of fame i feel like i was a part of that for them you know what i mean oh for sure i definitely wanted to do everything i could to keep them there and put them there and then as i went through my driving and i, I wound up with my kids i wanted some time for my my kids on weekends and um i felt like there was still a huge gap in the help that was available for racing teams in general because, you know, you can't blame the factories, but they've got a house car or two or three that they focus on. And if you're just a guy out here working for a living to have nice stuff and wanting to win races at whatever level you're racing at, um, they just ain't got a lot of time for you. And then I talked to a couple of them about it, and they're like, well, we don't we do not do consulting. And I, it rung a bell for me. I said, yeah, you're right. Nobody does consulting. So that's what made me decide I wanted to help more of the people that weren't getting the help they needed by starting up a consulting business to like reach out to the guys that maybe hadn't won a race yet, but probably have the equipment they need and just need a lending hand on how to apply it all. And maybe some driver coaching or crew chief coaching or both along the way. And I'm in a unique position since I've done every job that there is to do with the racing team from washing the bathrooms to driving the, cars to winning the races myself and cars I've prepared myself and done about every job task there is to do so if a team's got a weakness and they want me to help them spot it I'm pretty good at locating what's hindering teams you know so yeah for sure you've been around that's what that's what led me into wanting to be a consultant because I just enjoy doing that for people you had you had good success with that for sure Oh, I still do. I mean, we've won over probably 1,500, 1,700 races since I started doing this with teams that a lot of them never won a race before I started with them. I think we we work with somebody that you helped, Kyle Pierce. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yep, love working with Kyle. Kyle's got a lot of talent. Yes, he does. He we I went racing probably a couple weeks ago with him. He's he's still doing some crate racing around here, and he's still got it. He's still got it for sure. Oh, he does. I mean, I work with tons of good drivers, you know, and have through my career uh, since I started to consult and find, um, you know, because uh, there's so many of them. But like, you know, Oakley Johns won last year's Great um, Race in USA National Week with Points Championship deal of like 28 wins for the year. He's one of the guys that I've helped for a few years straight. And um, Josh Putnam, he's been on a hot streak winning. Uh, super late model races on Southern All Stars here recently. Yeah, he's he's picked uh, he's picked up his program. I remember you know growing up watching him, and you can definitely see the what you've helped that team you know get to the point where they're at you know winning races now. Yeah, and, and you know, and when he was running my chassis a couple of years back, he won like fifteen one year and thirteen the next, or it was thirteen the first year and fifteen the next. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, yeah, working with Brandon Overton through the years has been fun. Kyle Strickler. I mean, so many of these young guns that's out there I've worked with and been great friends, closest friends to them, you know, when they need something. I've kind of always tried to be there for them, but it's great to see them flower and get out there and really get something done, you know. What's uh, So uh, this is going to be maybe a two-parter, but did you, do you enjoy the consulting side of it more? Or did, I mean... Did you enjoy the the driving itself? What what motivated you more? Obviously, everybody that gets to drive wants to drive. But um, and I felt like I was as good as anybody when I was on kill with my driving. But like, I always had to have so many partners to drive. And then you know, just through life and everything, um, people dying like Jack Sturrett died and we had a strong run of things going and was just mm -hmm. fixing to get back on the road when he died. Um, people like that are somewhat irreplaceable at times, but David Fine from Bonanza Produce had passed away. Bob Miller, Miller Brothers, uh, the one that got it all started for me, he had passed away. Of course, I was on to doing other things and driving for other people at the time, but my love for Bob never ends. You know, he's the one who got it all started. Yes. Uh, but it was just such a fantasy financially till I needed something secure um, to feed my family with. And um, I was getting uh, to the age that I was thinking about what I was going to do next. You know what I mean? Because I didn't see being able to fund one of them programs because uh, the funding of the programs was just getting more and more and more and more every year through that era. And I had guys and sponsors and good ones, but they only wanted to run like a limited schedule. You know, we yeah. was winning 15 races a year while running 30 or 35. Nowadays, if somebody runs 90 and wins 15, everybody says they had a great year. But what they didn't realize is a lot of times during those years, I was running them limited schedules. I was also holding down a full-time, very rigorous job as a shop foreman in either a bush team or a cup team, trucks, something over in NASCAR. I got you. And doing all that simultaneously was hard. Mm -hmm. Seven day a week, never ending hourly schedule, you know. Yeah, I I've gotten married to Tina and had my kids and you know, I wanted some time to watch them grow up and stuff, which I hadn't ever took before because it worked seven days a week. So just trying to pull it all together and make it balance. I wanted something secure, so I started the consulting deal. I never said I retired from driving. I haven't. I would drive a 
a nice funded team to do if I had one that wanted to race and race right. But, um, you know, I'm just a businessman and a family man, and I focus on whatever's in front of me and try to do the best I can to help people at whatever they're trying to do. For sure. Well, Randall, you have been out of the seat for quite a while, as far as I know. I don't, I don't know when the last time you probably raced was. Maybe you can enlighten us, but it's probably been at least 10 years or so now, hasn't it? No, it was actually about two years ago. I okay. drove a couple of races for the Lloyds down in Florida. Okay. Um, I actually, um, first or second night out, I was like uh, second quick overall hot lap, and I was about 38 cars. Mm-hmm. And then a guy ran into me on the start of the race and flipped me up on my side, and I couldn't race to finish it off. But I felt like, you know, I didn't need much getting some laps under me, and I'd been back going. You know, anybody that wants to do good at racing nowadays, no matter what you're doing, you just got to get out there and get to making laps and understand your car and understand your setups. But one thing that always really helped me in my driving was if my car wasn't driving well, I knew how to fix it. Yeah. So, like, I'm not going to be off pace long because I know how to fix my car. And I, I'm, I kind of feel this, uh, the kind of the same way. Uh, it, in your consultant, have you have you noticed like a lot of people? Is that what they're lacking that they don't understand? You know. Well, the weirdest thing about racing, when I look at everything big, is in any other form of sport, the first thing you got to do to be successful is have a great coach. Look at if you want to be a football player. You could go to Alabama, and if you've got any talent, that's the place to find out if you can turn yourself into a football player. But racers are a weird breed because they want to fix everything themselves. But the ones that are really good will understand their weaknesses, and they'll go looking and searching for somebody to help them fix their weaknesses. And I feel like what I've been good for doing for my guys through the year, through the years is basically helping them know what to work on next I got you know you. like when i first started working with brandon overton he had all brand new cars and all brand new motors and he couldn't make races at his home track there at modoc and it wasn't that he wasn't a great little driver already because brandon i ain't never had to coach brandon much about driving but i've coached him a lot about how to work on his car how to tune his car and how to think about his driving and his car at the same time and now he's just an absolute machine at all that. He pulls it all together so well, and he's got tremendous work ethic and drive and determination. And, you know, some of that stuff, um, you're going to have to really work hard to get to those levels if you want to compete against those guys, and he's one of the ones that's done all that. Yeah, for sure. He's proved himself for sure. And, uh, you know, won another big $50,000 payday this weekend. Uh, he's 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 hot right now too. So he's, I'm sure he's probably not done winning races this year again. He's gonna uh, turn the wick oh, back up. Oh, he keeps the wick turned up. <laughs> yeah, he does. Brandon's an absolutely unbelievable guy. I love him as a great friend and a competitor. There's no more serious competitor. Absolutely, ice runs through that guy's veins when he's racing in those big races, and I know that to be a fact. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's a very specially talented guy, and I'm proud for him. He definitely works and earns it the old school way. All right, Randall, the uh, the East Alabama Motor Speedway. You won the National 100 twice down there, and uh, you had a lot of success at that track. And um, tell us a little bit about both of those wins, if you will. Yeah, actually, um, I have a love hate relationship with East Alabama because I should have won that thing about seven times. 
I can't tell you how many times that I was leading it and had all the way up into the top three or four lap down and motors would blow up or whatever, I run out of fuel one time with four laps to go. So like I had great success there. I had great tragedy there that like really rained out my uh, ability to run the score up where I feel like it should be. I really feel like I should have won about seven of those. I feel like I had six or seven of them totally dominated and outside of my control something happened took me out of it but um one of the great wins there was uh, in the biscotti's car um dick was always wanting to win a race at phoenix city dick mclaughlin from conneaut he really liked that track and he liked how it was fast and you run it well i ran up on the high side of it and he was excitable to dick you know but anyway, we had to pass, I think, Billy Moyer and Scott Blomquist to win that race that day. And it was a wonderful day. And I felt like we'd deserved it and earned it because we'd had so many taken away from us from so many different ways. But winning that one by passing basically two best drivers, most well-known winning drivers probably in Dirt Lake Model history to win that was a huge thing for me. Because you got to remember, I didn't ever dream of racing driving. And then, you know, National 100 was the biggest race that I knew of in the South as a kid growing up. We didn't even hear about the World 100. And as a matter of fact, during those years, I think the World 100 was paying like 22 or 23,000 to win. The National 100 was paying 20 or 21 or 22,000 to win at that time. So it was definitely a huge goal and target of mine from from just being a kid, and that was the biggest race I ever knew about, and watching Tom Helfrich and Larry Moore and uh, some of those guys win it uh, while I was down there watching it different times when I was younger. Um, it was just so special to win, you know, and I actually matched Larry Moore's win total for National 100s with two apiece, and, you know, Larry Moore's been my hero since I was 10 years old, just like he was my dad's favorite driver, you know. So to match, you know, someone like him with wins at a big venue event like that was always very special to me. I also won the Alabama State race once or twice. I know I won it once. I think I won it twice. Yeah, that. But yeah, Phoenix City was fun. I loved uh, racing there. I loved how, you know, a lot of people wanted to race on the bottom of the racetrack. I hated racing on the bottom of the racetrack with a passion. Um, and... You know, usually if I could get to high side working at Phoenix City, I could match about anybody around pace-wise. Yeah, Phoenix City, Alabama used to be a big dot and a big circle on the map of anybody that used to race there, that has ever raced dirt late models. And uh, over the past few years, it just seems like it hasn't got as much respect as it used to. But, but you're exactly right. That at one time was one of the biggest races on the on the oh, schedule yeah. every year. Yes, sir. To me, it was the biggest because obviously with me being from the South, you know, now I realize the World 100 was always just a little bit ahead of it probably just because it's been so stable. Yeah. But the uh, good news is I think Phoenix City's back on the way up. I don't know what all the trials and tribulations that went on there for a couple of years was, but it's an iconic racetrack and you can definitely have some tremendous races there. I hope that it's on its way back up and, uh, and, for sure it deserves to be because it was it was a it was, it's always been a it's always been that uh that famous racetrack for sure and you know you did talk about you kind of mentioned it right then going up to eldora and all that and you you went up there and competed in the dream and the world 100 and 
and had some had some decent runs and made the show. But just talk about just how tough that is just to go up there and and just uh, just attempt just to make the race. Well, let me go back to Phoenix City for one okay. thing. It was always very special to me, and I need to touch over it. So, like, in my whole career, I've worked with guys that's done unbelievable stuff, like Jeff Purvis coming from the back to run the National 100 one year and stuff. But there was a year at Phoenix City that I was there for the National 100, and I had the car to win the race with. And um, five different times, to start off with, I thought we'd load up motor heat race night. I had to come from the back of the Concy to win the Concy, and then the back of the A main to lead the A main. And then I, I got into a slew of getting tires cut down because I was running higher on the track than people thought I had room to be there. So they'd open their corner up a little and cut my left rear tire down. But I had like five times in the pits and five times from the rear to the front. But Tim and Susan Byer leave from the, the write-up paper at the time, came down after the race, and they had it documented from the Scorton Tower that I passed 99 cars in a 100-lap race and wound up finishing third. But I had to lead four times in the race before I had tire failures and stuff. But anyway, the fans that night did something I've never seen before or since. You know, in college football, they get to do it in that wave, and they circle the stands with that wave, and people standing up and sitting down. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the announcer had the, the guys and everybody in the stands were doing the wave. I bet they did it for 20 laps as I drove by, and I got <laughs> to noticing it from the race car, and it got my focus off a little bit because I'm always focused on just my driving, but I couldn't help but it. And then actually I got to listening and, and paying attention and I could hear the crowd roar every lap I drove by. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. It was the only time I ever seen that in my whole entire life working for all these guys and driving myself. But that always put a very special thought in my mind for the fans that night, you know. Well, I love that you touched on that before we changed topics for sure. And I and I actually uh one of my one of my good friends, Brownie Brown, you know Brownie. I texted him oh, before yeah. we uh, started this, and and he told me to make sure that I ask you about East Alabama and that National 100, and and it would always be a two day show. You'd run somewhere else on the first night and win some money, then come down there and start at the back of a Concy, work your way through the yes. Concy, and 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 on almost and you know have a shot to win the thing every year. And he said that was exciting to to be there and get to see that. And it sounds like you just told that story pretty much before I Yeah, that was stuff. one of those trips for sure. Yeah. Yep. We'd been to Columbus, Mississippi the night before, actually. We had a chance to win that one and got a tire cut down on the body panel because we was dragging the truck on the cushion so hard. But, yeah, Brownie was an awesome guy and always enjoyed racing him and his teams. Yeah. But, for... yeah, going to Eldora and mentally, you know, Eldora was a big thing, like a big pedestal event. And, you know, I got uh, opportunity to, I think, go there probably eight or nine times. And I think I made like six or seven of the eight or nine. And during that era, that was huge to me because every time I went, there was like 200 cars or more. Right. It was in, you know, the whole era I was going was when there was just so many cars going. It was just absolutely unbelievable odds, like. You know, I don't know, one out of six or eight cars in the pits gets to race. And then you look around you and every hot dog in the country is parked on every side of everybody there, you know. But um, best I ever run at Eldora. Um, this is a great story for Eldora. 
So I'm at Eldora and I'm in uh, David Fowne's Bonanza Produce GRT car. And uh, I outlapped and qualified pretty good. And I knew I did because I basically went wide open around the track. And I might have cracked it one time and two laps qualifying. So Larry Moore, you know, was my hero. And he got a real gruff voice. And I'm disqualified and pulled in the truck, pulled behind the truck and got my helmet. And I'm walking towards the trailer. And I, I hear Larry Moore say, well, I'd rather be anybody here or she right now. And I was like, well, that's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, he said, have you seen the heat race lineups? And I said, no. But I said, I figure it's going to be pretty tough since there's 240 cars here. And he said, well, the good news is you're on the front row. I said, well, how can that be bad news? He said, the bad news is you're starting right beside Earl Baltus' son. He said, but again, the good news is if you win that heat, you're going to start on like the outside pole, I think he said. And I was like, well, I'll take them odds. And he says, um, Jack Hitt's starting on the pole. You're starting on the outside pole. <laughs> and I said, well, I love Jack Hitt. But I said, if you think I thought it was going to be easy, I didn't think that or I wouldn't have come here. So as a matter of fact, why don't you go down there and tell Jack Hitt, as much as I love him, if he thinks I'm going to be easy and like the rest of these clowns he races up here, he's got another thing coming when we hit turn one. And, and Larry's like, are you serious? You want me to tell him that? And I said, yeah, I'm serious. And he's like, well, I'm going to tell him. And I said, well, I'm Jack's friend, so I just want him to know that I'm not going to let him slide job drive across my nose and lift for him like everybody else. There's going to be one hell of a hole in the turn one and two wall down there where I went through it wide open. <laughs> or he ain't going to pass me with no slide job coming off turn two because I ain't never letting him in, period, because I ain't going to lift the throttle at all. And uh, so we hit turn one, and I seen he was doing the same thing he had did to everybody that I'd ever watched him in a sprint car or anything else. Jack's terrifying fast driver and hard-chargingest guy ever said in anything. But I knew what he was going to do. When he went by the flag stand just a little bit, he was going to saw the racetrack off and, like, shorten up a bunch of distance and drive wide open towards the wall over at turn two. But I had about six inches of tire in front of his right front tire with my left front tire. And when he flinched on the steering wheel, I just rode his left front tire all the way to the bottom of the track. And I was like, I'm going to break the gas pedal out of it when I hit the wall, but I ain't lifting no matter what. And that's it. And when I come out of turn two, he was riding my left side of my car, just like grazing the whole side of it. But he was going backwards, and I was going forward, and I was just grinning <laughs> like a possum eating sawbriars walk. And then I let every lap and won that heat race and come in. And when I was backing in, Larry was over there to back me in, and he said, that's the most effing awesome thing i ever seen. And he said, nobody's ever done that to Jack here before. And I said, well, I told you before it happened that I wasn't going to be easy. <laughs> so those were cool things that worked out in life. Jack actually come down just shortly thereafter. And again, I was messing with my helmet and a big muscled up feeling guy grabbed me in a bear hug. And it was Jack Hitt grabbed me in a bear hug. He said, dude, that was awesome. Ain't nobody ever thought to do that to me. And he said, it worked perfect. <laughs> he said, congratulations. But yeah, that was, those were really great times. Did he make the show too, or do you remember that part of it? He ran second, and he, he ran, okay. uh, uh, so he obviously made the yep, race. Yep. I can't remember how he finished that night, but I always loved work, working against and racing against Jack Hewitt because 
that guy would absolutely make you bring it. And if you didn't absolutely bring it, he's going to get dusted. But I loved racing guys like that because that's what made me into being what I was in my best. Well, we've talked about East Alabama. We've talked about Eldora, and you mentioned Pennsboro, and you've uh, you've raced everywhere. I mean, the, the Charlotte Dirt Track, I can remember seeing you race there probably probably when the place opened, and, and you raced there probably about every time it was open during your racing career. And uh, I just got to wonder or ask you, what's uh, what's maybe one or two of your favorite tracks all over the – across the country that you've ever been to and you've been to hundreds of them well um, i have several really fun tracks that i enjoyed driving um brunswick georgia even though i didn't get to race there but there's a few occasions uh you know i won the super bowl there I there's, started that's a story and, i was going to ask you about but yeah go into that it. one well yep. that, that particular week we was driving for jack Sturette and had been for about six months and we'd had a heck of a season before um we'd won like i think it was five thousand to win at longdale on friday night ten thousand on saturday night and had a ten thousand dollar bonus so that was twenty five thousand dollar weekend at longdale thunder valley and then we went to the blue gray 100 and won it in dominant fashion lapped up to about third uh we'd won probably 14 races or so that fall in that car and we'd been getting it better all the time but then it come time to go to the super bowl and we just really hit everything right at the super bowl we had tremendous power with Randy Clary racing engines, uh, motor under the hood, and we'd worked with Wolfpack with my guys on my car for, like I said, about six months straight. So we really had that thing tuned up good. And um, the first night of the week, um, I think I set fast time, and um, Scott Blomquist was second. And then uh, we wound up winning our heats apiece, and then uh scott had raced there for years and years and i hadn't raced there but one other time i think previous to that so i followed him around the first night and run second and i was really close um but scott wasn't making any mistakes and um like i said we always raced each other so clean but anyway he won the first night and i run second and then the second night um chris madden set fast time and won and i set second fast time and won my heat and run second to chris and uh, I was learning from both of them how to run the track because they'd been around there, you know, eight or ten years straight at that point in time. And I was just kind of getting to figuring it out. But following those two guys, those first two nights really did me a lot of learning good. Come back to last night, and I broke the track record for fast time. And I think it was only broken by like three hundredths of a second by Jonathan Davenport when it was broke like seven, eight years later. And it's still that, I think, today. So for that era, that was a really blistering time, we said, for the track record. But anyway, that night um, in the heat race, at the drop of the green, we got into a tangle, and there was about four or five of us tangled up and tore the body up pretty good right at the drop of the green, didn't even get the race started. And uh, since I was the points leader for the week, they had a provisional for the points leader for the week, so I knew we had that in hand. So we took all the time through the concies and everything to keep repairing the car back to 100%. And the crew did a great job, and we got the car back to 100%. And I told the guys, I said, if I can just be patient and keep this thing out of trouble, I'm going to win this race for you tonight. And I told Jack Sturette that night that I was going to do my best to win for him. Because his wife had just passed away like two weeks previous to that, that race. But anyway, we started up like um, 24th. And um, I was talking to myself mentally, and I was like, all right, now, 
keep building me and tear this thing up trying to get to the front. You got to be really patient. And I was like, yeah, we're going to be patient, you know, thinking to myself. Well, they dropped the green flag, and I was just kind of thinking I was patiently working my way through. And um, I didn't ever do anything daring or anything. And the first caution come out like on lap eight or something. And the cars were spread out, and there was lap cars all in the mix and everything. And when they started separating us out, I was counting up through there thinking, oh, you're probably 15th or something, you know, because um, – you know, you get to racing, you ain't paying no attention if it's a lap car you pass in or a car you pass in for position. You're just trying to go past all the cars you can pass. Well, anyway, they got to narrowing them out, and I counted, and we was on, like, lap eight, and I was, like, fifth or sixth. And I was like, well, this has been patience working out pretty good. So I said, <laughs> I, should, I should probably stick with this a little more often. But really, I was thinking to myself, we're fixing to mash these guys. Because I was, like, really taking it easy, and we was going through the field like a hot knife through butter and anyway they dropped the green flag and again i was trying to take care of my tires and stuff so i was being as patient as i could but we took the lead on like lap 22 or something 23 from 24th and you know that's a combined event where the best world outlaws best lupus oil guys they're all there you know and then once i got the lead i was just like flabbergasted really with how easy it was and then i just really got in tire conservation mode but I think we lapped everybody up fourth that night. I I remember that race well, man. That was a that people still talk about that race. I was uh I was at Brunswick this year, and people were still sitting around in the stands just gawking about it. Man, you remember that night Randall Chup started last and won the race, and yeah, I was here. You know, everybody just they still talk about that, and I I still I haven't forgot it. And that's uh that was a question I did want to bring up. I'm glad we got that in there. For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, track favorite you was asking me about. Obviously, that track is so fun to drive, I can't tell you. But, like, Bulls Gap, Tennessee has to be one of my all-time favorites. Sadly, Atomic Speedway that was in Knoxville was one of my all-time favorites, and it's not here anymore. Really sad, because that was probably one of the best tracks in the United States to me. I've been there a couple Exciting times. Exciting and super stupid fast. I mean, it was like a third mile, and you'd run like 130 mile an hour average laps and stuff. Just absolutely insane. But it helped me a lot because racing really fast in a really small area makes other bigger tracks drive way slower. For sure. Knoxville, Iowa was a blast. You know, I hated what happened at Knoxville so bad because I felt like I had the car to win the race the only time I ever got to go to Knoxville, Iowa was the first Lucas Oil um, race at Knoxville, Iowa. I qualified like about fifth or something. And at the time at Knoxville, they was inverting like eight cars for a points thing where you had to score points through the heat race to get your starting lineup position. Well, me and Earl Pearson got inverted to like seventh and eighth. And um, I came from that row all the way to lead and I had a straightaway lead on Earl on the white flag lap and broke her out rear axle tube off. So I went from being potentially the highest points scorer for the night to absolutely the worst scoring points guy for the night because I run last in that first heat race. And then uh, started dead last in the, uh, don't quote me on these letters, but at Knoxville you got like A, B, C, D, and E, counting on how many cars is there. But I started like 24th in the E main and he had to win or run second in every letter of the alphabet to get to the A main. And I went from like the dead last in the E 
to winning the B, and I got a hole knocked in the right front tire on the back straightaway on the white flag lap, and I went across the line and missed the race by one spot. Damn. Man. Just could not drive it through three and four on a flat right front, and everybody comes hanging back by me. But we literally passed like 60 cars in the preliminary, 70 cars in the preliminary. I can't remember. It was insane. That is. But that was sad to never get to race there again because, man, we nailed the setup and we had a super fast hot rod. For sure. Well, um, man, we've been at this over nearly over an hour now, and these were our fans and your fans, and everybody's really going to appreciate listening to this. But, uh, but uh, before we let you go, I want to know uh, I think we've probably already touched on it, but like, what are you doing these days and uh, where are you living at? And uh, like, where's, where's your headquarters at these days? Cleveland, Tennessee is where I live and operate my business out of, and I run Randall Chuck Consulting, and I do consulting for all types, super late models, crate late models, 602 late models, uh, A modifieds and B modifieds. I do setup work and consulting for basically every step of all of that, and I've actually got uh, my own new chassis out we've been working on for a couple of years, but we've got a few guys out running them. Ethan Hunter, I was talking about at Boyd's. I think he's won three or five in his to get the year started. Um, but, yeah, we've got Predator race cars up and running now, building cars from scratch for people, and um, we're enjoying every step of it. And Like I said, no matter what somebody's got, if they need some help and don't feel like they got the coaching or the consulting that they need, we'll be more than happy to work with and happy to work with anybody. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the results speak for themselves, and uh, you've, got, you've got a proven track record there, and uh... – You've won. I guess you. I guess you could say you've won with everybody you've ever worked with. So, uh, so yeah. Yes, sir. So I mean, for, really lucky. Yeah, man. And you, you, you've mentioned that it's been a dream and a uh, and a fantasy and everything that to get to do what you've done. I mean, just that puts it into perspective for me. And that, uh, I mean, what does that? I mean, how does that feel for you to, or, or do you just feel lucky or blessed or whatever to have worked and had such a such a lucrative career and doing what you love every day? Well, I'm extremely blessed, for sure. And, you know, not many people get to wake up every day going to work knowing they enjoy what they do all day long. And, you know, to do it for 42 or 3 years consecutively, and I still got to drive the motivation and hunger to win this week, just like I always have before. Uh, I'm lucky to have great people to work with, and I've been surrounded with great drivers and teams and owners through the years. And, uh, like you said, just a very blessed man and happy to do what i do well randall i've uh man I, it's been a pretty good little hour and 15 minutes this, or whatever been it's, been. Awesome. it's been an, it's been incredible and i appreciate you doing this too just such short notice i've had your number on my rolodex here for for a long time here and uh i've put it off or whatever for, for whatever reason i don't know why now but i've i've really enjoyed you taking some time out of your out of your busy schedule and everything to do this and uh like i said a lot of people will hear this and uh sure we'll all get a lot of good feedback from it so uh so man i well, that's awesome. truly truly really do appreciate it and your father's a, a dirt lake model hall of famer and i don't think it'll be too long before we'll be uh calling randall chupp a national dirt lake model hall of famer well I, it's a dream obviously too you know my dad's in there i'd love to be there but there's a lot of people that deserve to be there yeah for sure man and i think uh i think your name's on that list somewhere coming up pretty soon so Hopefully some of those uh, decision makers on that deal are listening to this deal too. So, 
Uh, Randall, it's been a been an honor and a privilege to have you on here, man. And uh, we'll uh, have to catch up and do it again sometime. Hope to see you at the track soon. Yes, sir. Great talking to you guys. Great success. Hope great success for you and the guys on your show. That's been another episode of the Forward Bike Podcast in the books for this week. Thank you, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Randall Chupp. That was, was awesome. just incredible. That was, that was awesome. He's a class act, and he's experienced and done it all. So he he's really done it all. Just uh, just uh, just very excited to get to have him on here and tell all those stories. And man, I don't even know if he really scratched the surface. There's so did. much, so much more there to there to talk about. But uh, man, we appreciate everybody listening to this thing. We'll uh, we'll try to put something together for uh, for next week and have it, have another show for everybody to to enjoy. So until then, everybody be safe out there. Go see a race this weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>